0: Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jessie Browning and brought to you by La Joy Society. At age 35, Jessie theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created La Joy Society to
1: embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie.
0: Hi, friends. You're all wondering, wait, I thought you were taking a break. What are you showing up in my feed for? It's not July. (laughs) So here I am. And even though, you know, I'm not releasing new episodes right now, of course, I'm still working on Prickly and Blooming and things come up. You just kind of got to say yes and follow them. So let me tell you, about two weeks ago, I recorded an episode of Prickly and Blooming with a guest named Lorna Himosera. Uh, you'll hear that episode in season two. We got to know each other and had just such a great conversation and um, connection. So last week, Lorna emailed me and I Um, asked if I'd be interested in recording an episode that would be a little off the usual, you know, personal narrative sort of discussions that we have, but it's incredibly pertinent to the present moment. Um, This, this moment we're having where everyone is tuning into a lot of topics um, and we're trying to educate ourselves and we're trying to listen and we're trying to understand the experiences of others and (laughs) Lorna's um, work and educational background puts her in this wonderful position to be able to educate and share with us what she's learned in the work that she does. So I said, absolutely, let's do this. So here we are in June of 2020. Um, You all know that the country has been experiencing an upheaval in, um, protests and, uh, conversations and it's, it's wonderful. And I was so happy to be able to have this conversation with Lorna just to do our little bit. Um, as she tells the story later, you'll understand we're just trying to find our Gatorade. So we were here with the first part of our conversation this week and come back next week and we'll have another episode with Lorna. And then don't forget to come back in July for our more, Um, personal narrative conversations. So let me tell you about Lorna before we get into this episode. So Lorna Himasera is an assistant professor in the College of Education at the University of Texas at Austin. Isn't that amazing? So you're going to love getting to know her, y'all. Okay. So her research includes the school to prison pipeline and restorative practices, and she is the proponent of utilizing trauma-informed practices in schools. Lorna also creates and facilitates interactive workshops to promote cultural understanding. Lorna holds a PhD in educational, education leadership and policy, a master's degree in counseling, and a bachelor's degree in psychology. Prior to her current work, Lorna led college access and dropout prevention programs. When she's not working, Lorna enjoys cooking, spending time with her family and friends, practicing yoga, and traveling with her husband. I hope you all enjoy the conversation I have with Lorna. Now, here we are. So here i am with lorna hermosira hello lorna hi jesse Um, and so we have a special topic to get
1: into today and i'm just gonna let you take the floor oh thank you jesse well well first i want to thank you for um for using this platform in this way um you know with with what's happening with black lives matter and george floyd there's a lot of protests across the country, and there's also protests here in Austin. And so on Monday, I was, you know, in a work Zoom meeting, and one of my colleagues and friends said that she attended, uh, she participated in one of the protests, and that, um, and here in Austin, you know, the interstate was um, was blocked as part of the protest, and and she described people on the side of the interstate. Who were not joining the protest, but they had Gatorades and they had waters and they had um, snacks and baked goods and they just gave encouraging words. They're like, you know, what you're doing matters, and thank you for what you're doing, and stay hydrated, and here's some, you know, sustenance for you. And so I, I you know, I haven't seen that being covered much in the in the media at all. But and so when I heard that, I thought, oh, that's such a beautiful thing. And People might not necessarily be called to protest, but we all can, we all have our own version of Gatorade, right? What can we give? And so I know, you know, I've done this, um, I've done a presentation about um, basically institutional racism and, and how it was constructed and, and where it comes from. I've been doing it for several years now, and I thought that, oh, I kept thinking, what is my Gatorade? What is my Gatorade? And I thought that's my Gatorade. You know, people tell me that, um, that that they learned a lot from the presentation that they didn't know, and um, and I see terms like institutional racism being used, which is very important. But I also know that that not everybody might understand what that means. So so this is my offering. And Jesse, thank you for you know you have a platform and you are using it, um, and that's that's what I see as your Gatorade. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, exactly. Same. I was like,
0: you came to me with this idea and it was like, oh, this is what I can do.
1: Yes. And you and you're, you know, you typically off in June. So thank you for responding so quickly.
0: (laughs) Oh, no problem. You know, I think any sort of um, like uh, moments like they're just so heavy on your heart and everyone is looking for their Gatorade. And I think that that's more common Mm -hmm. than um people are acknowledging. And and of course, because it's a media, the the headlines are always negative and fear, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of pulls people in closer. Um, And I'm so grateful that we can uh, get into this conversation because people are looking for ways to educate Mm -hmm. and learn. And here we are, you know, you're willing to give us your time and people just got to be willing to listen. So I want to ask where you um, normally give a presentation, you know, you mentioned.
1: Yeah, so um, largely in the nonprofit community. Um, so oftentimes nonprofit organizations are set up to address um, the challenges that are related to poverty. Um, and so that could be challenges um, or making education more accessible or healthcare more accessible or you know, even play after school. So my audience has largely been the nonprofit community, but I've also done the presentation for public school district, six different schools, and IBM, and other places as well. Oh, very cool. All right, let's Let's do this. Awesome, yes. So um, this really came from learnings and research for my dissertation research on the school to prison pipeline. And so uh, to understand the school to prison pipeline, which is this phenomenon where it started or heavily happened in the 80s and 90s and still continues today, where a disproportionate number of African-American males are being um, pushed out of schools through um, suspensions and expulsions and ultimately ending up um, in juvenile detention centers and all the way to prison. So that's called the school to prison pipeline. And what disproportionate means is when you have, when you you look at the population of kids in a school and say African-American kids make up 10% of the population in the school, but then when you look at the population of who is being disciplined and rates like 30, 40, 50 percent of African-American kids and it's boys and girls are being disciplined, then that's disproportionate. So you would expect if it's proportionate, then if 10 percent of the population is African-American, then proportionate discipline means ten percent of the kids being disciplined would also be right. African American,
0: and this is a measurable number. Yes, you know you can look at um, records from schools, and you know correlate that to the student, and you can count this. Absolutely, you know, this is not
1: an assumption. This is a measurable unit. Yes, a researcher Tony Fabello, he did a study in Texas to look at disciplinary rates. And and his report is called Breaking School Rules. And it's 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 out there. Um, and what he did, and it's out there and available online. And so what he did was, you know, when you do research, oftentimes you'll have a sample of, of people that you do your study on because you can't ask every single person. But what Fabello did, did was he took the, um, He took the school, public school records and he also took school records from public schools and he also took the records from um, the juvenile justice system in Texas for every single student in the state of Texas. And he wanted to see, and he followed them through the data and he wanted to see like what students were being incarcerated and what student, you know, what, just what was the trajectory of these students. And so that his research is pretty groundbreaking because it was millions of records. You know, this wasn't just five kid people or 500 people. Right. Um, it was a large, a large sample size. A large sample, sample size. And so what he found was that for African-American students, 83% of African-American male students had at least one discretionary violation, one school violation. 83%. That's that's staggering yeah and so the 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 explanation that oh well they were just misbehaving that that is very unlikely with that kind of a statistic mm-hmm. and so um, so my research on the school to prison pipeline also revealed you know this disproportionate amount of African- American males and females who were being, overdisciplined and there's records of kids who threw a pencil and were charged with assault. So that this is where discretionary comes from. It's at the discretion of whatever adult is charging them. So that that's the challenge. And so so this presentation that I've done um has explained the disproportionate outcomes, not just in schools and school discipline, but just in our society. Because it's easy to say in 2020, well, you know, maybe those people of color, they just don't care. And that's why they don't, they're not educated or that they live in, um, you know, low income areas. But we have to look at the history of where we're coming from to understand it.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We have to know where we've been to know where we're we're going.
1: Mm Which, um, which tie, you know, we were talking how this ties to your theme of your um, podcast anyway, because, you know, we, if we want to move forward and heal from the past and move forward to become better, we have to look at the ugly parts of our history as individuals and then as a country.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All of it. All
1: of it. So I start with housing and where, why people live where they live, right? Okay. So, and, and when we talk about schools, where you live is where you go to school. So for me to understand schools, I, you have to understand housing. And so that took me, all, not back to the 80s and 90s, 1980s and 90s, <laughs> but all the way back to the start of the United States. Um, and you know, it's easy to forget that um, the states and the country was forming before 1776. So there were people here already. There was slavery here already, um, but, but we start with, I start with 1776 because you got to start somewhere. And so um, the Naturalization Act of 1790 says that um, any alien Being a free white person may be admitted to become a citizen because only citizens could own land. And um, what stood out to me when I saw that policy was the word alien, because we still, this is from 1790, so we're still using language. You know, we hear the term illegal alien, and in 2020, alien is more associated with outer space, right? It's, yeah. It, it's like why are we why are we talking about aliens but it's tied to the you know policies from our past. And so in 1790 the naturalization act says any alien being a free white person may be admitted to become a citizen. So this reminds us and and shows in writing how race was already in our policies in the 1700s. So race was a big deal already cuz only a white person could become a citizen. And there were, you know, the Dred Scott case and um, other cases where African Americans were wanting to fight for their rights. And And the Dred Scott case uh, specifically said that a Negro whose ancestors were imported into the U.S. and sold as slaves Slaves, whether they were enslaved or free, could not be an American citizen. So this issue of race again goes back to the start of this country. Then we go to the Thirteenth Amendment, with which many of us have has heard of as the um the amendment that abolished slavery. Um, and slavery was legal in the U.S. as we know, and we don't hear about in our textbooks, but the 13th amendment says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the united states or any place subject to their jurisdiction so we commonly know that as the abolishment of slavery but there's a clause in there right smack in the middle of that sentence which is except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted so what the amendment says in totality is neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States states, or any place subject to their jurisdiction." So when you think about the time that this um, law was enacted, 1865, s- slavery was legal and then this law passes and then slavery, slavery was illegal. So there were people who you know had enslaved people who didn't necessarily want this law to pass. And so there, I mean, it was a, a social shift, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that clause is where the shift from legal slavery went to over-policing, except as punishment for crime slavery is legal except for punishment for crime and um that is, does that clause have a name um
0: or is I, it called the something clause? it's
1: it's not even it's it's right in there it's right yeah, in the yeah. 13th amendment
0: right because i know some things have like a name and i think do you know what i mean like i'm trying to i can't think of one right now but like the the blah 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 clause um and i think that it doesn't have a name is interesting because i didn't know
1: that mm-hmm. we we learn about the Lord. the pretty stuff right oh it was right. it was horrible slavery was hor- horrible but then it was abolished thank you lincoln and then it was abolished
0: but if you read that little sentence fully it's got more context it's got more color
1: absolutely and it's right in there and so what happened was the over policing of F- formerly enslaved people who were African-American. And so once they, yes. And so this is where chain gangs came in, right? So then, so that these are, this was basically free labor for people who owned, you know, agricultural sites and things. So, you know, cotton, sugar, you know, we know about um, the, the labor that in, uh, that enslaved people were required to do. So now suddenly this law passes and all your workers are free. So, so one, you know, for the people who did not want that to happen, they now have this clause saying, except as punishment for crime, you can have, you can have slaves and so enslaved people. And so African-Americans people with black skin were overly policed, overly incarcerated, thrown in jail, thrown in prison, and then made to do agricultural labor and other labor, and again, not being paid for it, right? So it's just slavery by another name in the context of a law that says slavery is abolished. So, um, so yeah. Back to housing. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't until, well, 1896, we're still in the 1800s, we've got Plessy versus Ferguson, which is the Jim Crow separate but equal laws. So um, slavery was abolished, slavery was illegal, but because of other laws, including Plessy, Plessy versus Ferguson, it was legal to discriminate and segregate. And so, you know, I show a picture in my presentation of the two water fountains, one that's labeled white and one that's labeled um, colored, which was the terminology back then. And the white and they were right next to each other. And the law supposed says that it's okay to be separate, which is where discrimination and segregation, which made discrimination and segregation legal. So the law said it's okay to be sec- separate, but it has to be equal. But that water fountain is a perfect example of how, yes, it was separate, but it was not equal. So the water fountain that is labeled white is this, you know, you can see the chiller on the bottom, it's the a water fountain. And then the one that was for colored people or black people, you know, was just this small, tiny, no chilling to the water water fountain. And, and folks often also say, oh, this was a long time ago, Lorna, why are we talking about this? We've moved past this, you know, this was a long time ago. Well, the water fountains, the segregated schools, the segregated buses, all of that was legal until the passage of the Civil Rights Act, which was in the 1960s. So, Many people, our teachers, our parents, our grandparents were alive during this time. And when I do this presentation, you know, um, community members will come up to me and say, I remember, you know, I was part of the last class of the segregated school, or I remember um, going to segregated school. So this was not that that long ago. It shapes how we see each other also so with housing it wasn't until well 1934 the Federal Housing Administration um, was formed, FHA the FHA still exists today. many people get their homes home loans as an FHA loan and it, this was in the 1930s so it was after World War one and the federal government was wanting to help citizens to, by, um, to, to be homeowners because it's known that home ownership is related to establishing wealth, establishing um, financial security. Um, and so, and most people then and today don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to plop down to purchase a house in cash. So, um, so the federal government stepped in to insure mortgages so that folks could qualify for loans. And this increased the number of applications, dropped interest rates, and more and more people had access to homes. But remember, this was during the time that segregation and discrimination was legal. So at the same time, there was what's called the Home Owners Loan Corporation, HOLC, and they drew up residential security maps. So, if you were, for example, wanting to purchase a home in Austin, you could get an FHA loan, great, but then the bank would say, well, where do you want to buy your home? And depending on where you want to buy the home, let me refer to this security map to see if we will insure or we, we to see if that location is insurable, And if it is insurable, we'll give you a loan. But if it's not insurable, we won't give you a loan. And so the the maps from the 1930s are available um, and you'll see that the city is divided and color coded into green, blue, yellow, and red. And if the home that you wanna buy is in the green or blue section, then the then it was approved and the bank would give you a loan. If it was in the yellow, then they may or may not give you a loan. If it was in the red zone, they would not give you a loan because it was that, that section of town was known as hazardous. So you think that that all seems well and good, but again, this was during a time of legal segregation and discrimination. So the parts of town where African-Americans were only allowed to live were coded as red. So even if you had a job, even if you had the FHA loan, even if you served in the military, and had access to the GI Bill and and, you know, military uh, uh, benefits, because you were wanting to buy a house in the red zone, you could not get get a loan. And so but if you if that's the only place you're allowed to live, how will you ever have access to home ownership and the and the potential to build wealth and financial security. You, you don't. And so it's these layers of laws that prevented African Americans, particularly, from accessing, you know things like important things like home ownership and, and to have financial stability. And so the, And then there were also a lot of folks who took advantage of this situation. And, and by the way, if you heard the term redlining, that's where the term redlining comes from. And these maps exist, um, the University of Richmond has a website called Mapping Inequality, and they have many of those maps from the 1930s through, and these maps were in effect from 1934 to 1968. 1968.
0: 68. Well,
1: it remind me again
0: that it was the HOLC, what did that stand for again?
1: Homeowners hey. Loan Corporation.
0: Homeowners Loan Corporation.
1: Yes, and so folks, uh, you know, prospectors took advantage of this. They, folks who could purchase those homes in the red zones because they had access to money. Cash? Yes. They would buy them. They would then rent to the African Americans who were living in the area, or they would say, oh, I'll sell you the house, just a private sale. And then, and so the person had no protections like they would have if they had an FHA loan. So if the person missed a payment, then the owner would say, Well, you, you, uh, defaulted on the loan exactly and, um,
0: repossessed it exactly,
1: exactly, right,
0: right. There was no buyer protection,
1: absolutely, exactly. There's a, there's a wonderful, um, video online by the Atlantic called The Story of the Contract Buyer's League. And I show that during my presentation and I show a clip of a man who talked about working three jobs. He worked at the post office, he worked at Campbell Soup and he delivered pizzas so that he could afford to pay his mortgage to, to one of these prospectors. And he talks about, um, you know, he he, came home pretty much to sleep only, and he was gone working all day. And, um, and then when he wakes up in the, on the weekend, the ki- he has no relationship with his kids because he's never there. And when I think about as an educator, you know, how often folks say, oh, we need more parent- parental inv- involvement. We need more parental involvement. Why aren't the parents here? And, and assumptions that they don't care about education or they don't care about kids, maybe, or maybe they're busy working three jobs and they actually do care a lot, you know? Yep. So, so that is the context of housing and how we have still today racially segregated neighborhoods um, and gentrification is happening, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> right. a whole nother workshop A whole another workshop which is quite relevant to Austin a very relevant to Austin yeah. absolutely yes
0: yes so as a as a wrap-up of the um, housing topic of your presentation is there anything you'd like to leave us with and then you know next week we will uh, move into the next topic that you want to share with us but is there anything we need to wrap up with about housing and resources that, um, let's go over those again and we'll mm-hmm. put those in the show notes.
1: Yes, yeah, so um, what, I, what I'd like to wrap up with is when you hear the term systemic racism, racism that is systematized, part of the system, this is, ex- is an example, right? The whole who had access to um, home loans, Um, It it was not just one bank that was being discriminatory. It was a whole system with maps and everything. Um, And Again, when you take the history of the country into account and you put it into a pie, and you divide the pie into three parts, the part of history when slavery was legal, the part of history when segregation and discrimination was legal, and the part of history where all of that was illegal, uh, you'll see that only 22% of our history, 22% of the pie of our history is where all of that was illegal. So 78% of our history as a country was under legalized slavery and legalized segregation and discrimination and so we have to talk about this we cannot not talk about this and we, we can't just live in the last 20 years of yes like, we're a melting pot exactly <laughs> Th- that is this is the foundation of where policies were made that we are this is the foundation of the country and so just that perspective of 22 percent of of our history, or the the reverse, seventy eight percent of our history is under legalized slavery, and or legalized discrimination and segregation.
0: Right, and I wanted to mention something, and maybe there's a term for it. Maybe this is it, but um, generational wealth. So when um, home ownership can be achieved, you now have something to pass down generationally to your children. Or your grandchildren and that's what starts the building blocks as you know so it's not just the the family that buys the house it affects the children of or the the what i really am saying is the absence of yes. you know <laughs> passing yes. down
1: yes and it's also stability right you're not moving from place to place to place necessarily you have you can put your roots down and also you know especially these days, you know, people can tap into their house for resources. So, like in this age of COVID, if somebody has lost their job, if you have a house and you have equity in your home, you can tap into your equity as a source of of um, finances. And if you don't have home ownership, you don't have that access. So, yes. All right. Well, that
0: will end us for this week. Everyone, come back next week. And Lorna, you're going
1: to tell us about what next week? Remind me again. Um, the social construction of race, where race came from, because we did not always identify by race.
0: All right, everyone. We will talk to you again next week.
1: Bye. Thank you, and che-
0: Of course. Thank you. Check the show notes for the resources Lorna has mentioned. Okay. Bye, everyone.
2: Everything. Up to this point has led me here, and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense.